As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic's Football GM Podcast. And now, The Athletic's Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Hey, welcome everybody to this latest edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic, joined as always by former NFL Exec of the Year, Randy Mueller. And not just Randy, we have a really special guest today, really uh, about as relevant a guest as you could have right now if you're following the NFL draft and especially all of the excitement and confusion surrounding the quarterbacks. Could be five of them drafted in the top ten, which has never happened, but it actually could. This year, John Beck, former NFL quarterback, drafted by Randy Mueller uh, a few years ago, now is working as a pre-draft coach, but I'm not going to say what he's doing. You've probably read he's working with Justin Fields or has Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. I'm going to let John explain what he's doing before we kick off this conversation. How did you get into this? What are you doing? Who are you working with in the draft? I know you were with Jameis Winston today. I don't think he's in this draft, but he's trying to get better like everybody uh, in this business. What do you do? What are you doing? Well, the story of all that dates way back to when Randy picked me to the Dolphins. Um, When I got picked to the Dolphins, there was a plan of we're going to line you up with Drew Brees because Cam Cameron, the the, the guy that was the head coach then, said, here's the plan we have for you. We want to put you on the Aaron Rodgers and the Phillip Rivers plan. And we want you to, to sit, develop, learn, adapt, all these things. And during that process, we want to connect you with Drew Brees and the people and the team that really Drew Brees has put in place for his career to help him be successful. So that was kind of the plan. Well, 2007 was a rough year, went up in flames, uh, and I didn't get to stay connected with those guys. And a new staff came in. Well, the following year, 2009, I get reconnected with Cam in Baltimore, who connects me with Drew Brees, and I'm going to speed the story up, who then connects me with Tom House, who then years later is training me and says, hey, I'm having some people uh, that show interest uh, in me training them for throwing, but I don't know quarterbacking. I know throwing. You've played in the NFL. You're in the NFL. At that current time, I was still in the NFL. Would you be interested in going into business with me in a quarterback group and another person named Adam Dado? So that year was probably like the summer of 2013, and I was trying to get back on an NFL roster. Well, 
I don't get on a roster for that season, but I keep driving up three to four times a week from San Diego to LA to train, which, you know, I didn't know it back then, but it was basically, I'm thinking I'm training to be a player. It leads to me essentially training for all of this stuff. So, you know, Tom house, uh, he had Parkinson's was diagnosed with that, unfortunately, and knew he wasn't going to be able to do day-to-day work anymore. So back in 2014, he basically, uh, talked to me and Adam Dato and said, this is going to be you guys that takes this even beyond where I could ever take it. And so with all my time in the NFL, with all my connections and everything and teaming up with Adam Dato, we started 3D QB. And that's essentially what we've been doing. It started with training NFL quarterbacks. Um, and as you know, in the NFL, when somebody's having success, everybody wants to know what they're doing, especially when you train guys like, you know, Drew Brees. And so people have just been kind of following that. And it's grown from there to college and then into the pre-draft process. And then, you know, that's kind of the big topic right now. We've been doing pre-draft for the last, I think, four to five years. We've had a number of first rounders in past years. And this year really is, I I can say, our biggest year in terms of the number of guys that we have at the top of the draft. It's just crazy how this has taken off. And like you said, everybody wants to get better. So, I mean, the timing's perfect for you. I think you've become more known as this than you were as a player, right? At this point. I mean, <laughs> I wish it, it wasn't that way though. Well, right, Randy? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're all That's in that boat. Think, right? yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. here's what I will say. If I could have mapped out what I felt would have been the best thing for me as a player, right. it would not have been the experiences that I had. Right. Um, the experiences I had, they don't help a player, but if I could have not and back then I wouldn't have known this, but knowing what I know now, these those experiences I went through absolutely helped me right. to help other people. And you know, I can't say that I would have lined myself up with those people had I not had the experiences I had. You know, it's those driving forces behind right. that that made the decision to drive to LA three to four times a week. If if success had been going for me in the NFL, like I don't know if I would have been doing those right. things. And so you know, sometimes when things don't work and you got to, and you're forced to, to push and scramble and, you know, do what you can do and connect with who you can, it leads you to opportunities. And there's no way that I would have been able to say 10 years ago, oh yeah, I'm going to try to really kind of like really push the fronts and be a pioneer in this, you know, professional quarterback kind of mentor, tutor, or coach. Like I, I wouldn't have known that, but through my experiences, I noticed this area that I felt like to help quarterback play, to help quarterback development, this is a piece that there needs to be something there in place at the very highest level, and let's go do it. And with the help of Adam Dato, we've really formed this place. And you really, I mean, I've still stayed in contact with with Cam Cameron uh, throughout this. He comes to our field, he watches our quarterbacks, and it's crazy how life works. But it's landed me here, and I absolutely love this job. Yeah, no, I can tell you have the the appetite for it. And obviously the success has been there as well. Before we start talking about some of these newer guys that you're working with, let's go back to when when we did draft you in Miami. Obviously the process itself, having gone through it, is helpful for you to kind of open a a little bit of the dialogue with these new guys who really, when you get them, they don't have any idea what they're going to go through. Um, I remember texting you on draft day you know, sitting in the, in the draft yeah. room. And I don't know if you remember that text exchange we had or not, but I it, do. yeah, it all started then. It actually started before that in our, in our private workout that we had with you at BYU. But that text yep. exchange, I often think of and, and laugh and smile about, it, and it's made me smile all these years later. Do you remember what you told me when we were, when we were on the clock as we got through that first round? Well, 
I remember your text saying, what are you hearing? Who's talking yeah. to you? Because at that time, you know, Detroit, I, I, I thought I was going to end up in Detroit with what were they like the 34th pick. Yeah. Um, but I know that there were some teams that asked me, do you think Detroit's going to take you? And I said, I like I do. They flat out, you know, their offensive coordinator told me, I want you. Yeah. Mike Martz. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he, uh, he, he came to my pro day and he's mm-hmm. like, look, I don't even need to stay here for this. You're already <laughs> my guy. So let's just go grab a bite to eat. Uh, I don't even need to stick around for the throwing, but let's talk football. I want you to know I want you. Like, right. you're my pick. And uh, I'll be pissed if we don't take you. So when teams asked me, you know, where, where do you think you're going to get picked? I said, right. I'll probably go pick 34 to Detroit. So then some teams started talking about potentially trading up above right. 34 to get me. So when Randy texted me, it was like, probably like the back end of the first half. What are you hearing? You know, what are teams saying to you? That's like the number one thing I remember. And then I remember obviously going into it as it got closer to the pick, there was more of a text exchange. The thing I remember now though, most also is being picked and then Jersey number. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that, but me texting about like, Hey, I'd really like this Jersey number. But I'm curious (laughs) though. Now, what was the thing you remember most? Well, I don't remember the Jersey exchange uh, conversation, but I remember you told me at one point when I said, how are things? What's going on? You said, I'm sitting here in my flip flops looking for some sand to put under them or something like that. It was some catchy tie to Miami at the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you remember that. You're right. I did say. (laughs) That is funny. You know what? That must have been Detroit traded back. I remember Kevin Cobb. They traded up. Philly traded up and took yeah, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe I would have never remembered that unless you said that. But I do remember <laughs> you said something about being in the sand. Wow. Yeah. And, you had, and you had your flip flops on ready to come to Miami. And this was a few picks before we even picked Mike. So it was kind of crazy how it ended up working out. I will say this about that situation. And I've been involved in a lot of drafts over a lot of years. I was more nervous then that John was going to make it to us in the second round than I've been in picking top five picks. I mean, I picked Walter Jones at six and I wasn't as nervous. I thought someone was going to pick John and, and we really didn't have a fallback plan, which is not, it's unlike me to not have, you know, B plan B plan C. And we just didn't have it. That year was not a great year for, for the bulk of quarterbacks coming out. If you remember, Mike, that was the Brady Quinn year, right? Same year. Oh yeah. Yeah. You guys got crushed for not taking Brady in the top 10. You took Ted Ginn instead. He played 15 years. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I've never been ridiculed more for passing on a quarterback in my life. And so I knew that if we didn't get John, I knew the hammer was coming even more because half the Miami people all thought we were going to pick, uh, Brady Quinn. So anyway, it's just crazy how it works out. There was a lot of, and I'm sure you you were going to say you had to answer a lot of those questions as well. I that did. draft, I'll say this, that draft in all of my time in the NFL, I probably took the most heat for, might've been one of my best drafts ever and not mine. It was ours. We had some really good players in that draft that played a long time. Starters that throughout the draft, I mean, an all Pro Bowl punter, a franchise defensive lineman, the Utah kid, um, you, you, Ted Ginn, um, uh, the center, uh, Samson, Samson, all these guys were starters out of that draft. Yeah. You know what? That was an exciting one too. Cause I actually think Lorenzo Booker, our third round pick, had he been in the right system, Lorenzo was really, really good. And the next staff that came in, they didn't even give him a chance. Uh, they just kind of came in and said, well, he's not really like our style. So, I mean, he, he, Lorenzo didn't even get a chance to get to the field for the new staff. I mean, the thing that's wild about, I remember that, that, that draft day, 
two nights before my agent called me and said, Hey, we're, we have confirmation that basically if the Raiders don't take Jamarcus with the first pick, they're going to go Calvin Johnson. If they go Calvin Johnson, that's because the coaches, there are coaches in the building that doubt. they want you with the first pick of the second round and Calvin Johnson with the first pick of the draft. Right. And I remember thinking like, that would be sweet to get yeah. to go to that guy. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you just kind of wonder like, how's it going to shake down the, there was a few teams that reached out to me basically saying like, you know, the same questions. Like, are you like, do you feel pretty confident? There's no way you make it past Detroit. Well, the only reason they're going to ask that is because they feel like they got to jump up above Detroit. So, I mean, I do know the drafts are crazy. Uh, and I do know, like, I definitely use those experiences when I talk to the guys. I talk to them all about, you know, here's what it feels like to go to the combine. You know, I wasn't a first round pick, but I mean, for my era, my size at 6'2", 2, you know, 215, 220, the top of the second's about as high as a guy my size was going to go. So I know what it feels like to be going high, right? And I know what it feels like to have a team pick you and to tell you when they bring you to their facility, you are our plan for the future. I know what all those things feel like. And I also know what it feels like to six months later, not have a single person in the building that picked you. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have now a whole new staff that looks at you like right. you're just, you're just a guy to us, just you know? Guy, so yeah. yeah, you're just a guy. So, so I share the realities. Much, I yeah. share the realities of the NFL. I let them know, you know, the, the great parts about the process. I loved the combine. I loved right. my pro day. I love when you guys came for that. I mean, I, I still remember this cam Cameron did not ask me a single word about the playbook you guys sent me. Yeah. And at the end I was like, why did you not ask me a single word? And he goes, because when you told me what your offense was called in our offense's terminology, <laughs> I already knew you had the whole thing memorized. So it didn't, I, I didn't need to ask you anything. Like I loved that whole process. And so right. it's fun for me to walk these guys through the process, yeah. tell them what's going on. And also, quite frankly, the reality of the NFL. There's, you know, there, there's these guys I'm helping. There's Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Kyle Trask, um, Trey Lance, and KJ Costello. And I tell them all, guys, I would love for all of you to great, go to great situations. But the reality of the NFL, yeah. there's a lot of tough situations. There's a lot of teams trying to build. And you got challenges ahead of you. And maybe one or maybe one of you right. goes to a great situation, but the rest are going to have to fight and claw like crazy. Right. Absolutely. There, there's some guys who are so talented that they're going to almost overcome anything. And then there's most guys who are so dependent on what situation you're in, who's invested in you, how the, are they going to alter the system? How are they going to build it around you? Is it going to be the same coaches? Yep. And then if it, it's not those things, oh, you're a bust. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I wasn't, I had, didn't have a chance. One, one of the things we did, Mike, at John referred to is we would send a little bit of form of our playbook ahead of time. We had private workouts with several quarterbacks and Cam would send them a little notebook on our stuff unbeknownst to anybody, to them. And, and then about three days later, we would show up. And then he would quiz them about two, that. So 48 hours. Yeah, two days. And, and some guys were better at figuring it out than others, right? But that told you a lot about him. I always said, and that's why I love this, part of the process is the process. And that was an example of that. This is something that we can't do now. With COVID, with the way these things are going, there's no private workouts, right? One of the things that sold us on John was when we went there, not only did we know he had the terminology all figured out, but if you remember this, John, we went out on the field and you had some guys show up to throw to. And really the one thing Cam did was 
he, we wanted to test his communication skills, his leadership skills, and kind of how he was under the gun. Do you remember what we did? We did a two-minute drill, and we threw like six or eight guys in drill. the huddle and just said, you figure it out, John. You tell us all what to do. I mean, I'm a running back, and yep. I'm the general manager, and he's telling me what to do, you know, on a swing pass. And, and he's he, all these guys don't know what the play is. They yeah. don't, they're not on the same page at all. But John had to sort it out in a two-minute situation and get us down the field to score. It's a great way to judge what you're dealing with. I don't know if you remember that, John. I absolutely do because we were short guys. Yes. And Cam said, use the guys you got, tell them where to go, and then we'll fill in the other spots, but you got to tell us where to go. I do yeah. remember it. And he gave me like a time limit. Yep. And at the end, he was like counting down and like take us to the end zone. No, I remember also, I remember coming in from that workout feeling like that was probably the most balls I feel like I've ever thrown in an hour because, <laughs> all right, Stan, Stand flat-footed. You got five throws as far as you can. All right, we're gather up all the footballs. I'm going to toss you all these balls as fast as you can to get them out as, as quick as you can. All right, have you ever thrown a skinny post versus cover two? No, I haven't. All right, well, we're doing that. <laughs> have you ever done this? No, I haven't. All right, we're doing it. And, like, I remember that workout, and I use those examples sometimes yeah. when I tell guys, here's what can happen in a private workout, you know. And uh, I, th I think it's one of the cool parts, too, like – I mean, I've said this before, I wish I could have had the career and I tried to work as hard as I could to have the special, great, you know, it all works out career. It didn't, but I somehow got in the window of time I was in there, this, this like career that did touch all these spots, the highs and the lows. Like, right. I know what it's like when a new staff comes in and you're nobody. Yep. I know what it's like to get picked high. I know what it's like to be in a camp battle to battle for the number one spot. Um, I also know what it's like to be benched after a few games. I know what it's like to come in when the starter is struggling and you got to play like somehow in that amount of time, I got to experience all these things, even within an organization. I got to be with organizations when they couldn't win a game. I got to be with organizations when it felt like every single time you stepped on the field, you were going to win a game. Right. And I could feel those both ends of the spectrum. And it's, I've tried to use all of that as I help these quarterbacks. John had to start a couple games, if I remember right, as a rookie, right? Didn't you go to didn't yeah. we go to Buffalo and you start a game in a snowstorm up in Buffalo as a rookie? <laughs> so okay, <laughs> here's my start. I don't know if you guys are I don't know if you remember, Randy, but we were 0-9. Yep. And we went on the road to Philly and played on the road there. They're the number one defense. And then we followed it up with a Monday nighter in Pittsburgh. They were the number two defense. <laughs> we came we, we came home and played the Jets. And then my last start for the Dolphins was on the road in like a snowstorm in Buffalo. So, you know, and I look, I tell rookies too, look, you don't get to pick when you become no. the starter. Right. Like you may get three home games in a row and two of those teams may be bottom feeders, or you can get, Hey, your first two games are on the road against the number one and two defenses. Oh, and one of them is a Monday night game, right? right? Like you don't get to pick when it that happened. happened to somebody last year. I forget who that was. They were, you know, I'm like, this is not set up for success. You know, yeah. you're going to go on the road. So, Applying all that then with the guys in the draft this year, first off, who have you worked who are you working with or have worked with that's in this draft this year? So the guys that I've had from day one are Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Kyle Trask, KJ Costello. I started working with Trey Lance a couple weeks ago. He had already done all of his pre-draft stuff leading up to his pro day with another group. And then uh, they got in contact with us a couple weeks ago and he's been at our place um, preparing for his second pro day. That was kind of like a big a big part about it. So this season with the guys that you're working with, obviously your relationship with 
Kyle Shanahan, having been with him in the past, is uh, a part of this. And everyone's trying to guess what those guys are going to do. And you have multiple guys in here. So it's a it's a little interesting. What what position are you in that way? What do you know? And how can you specifically help these guys when you know one of the main players in this so well in Kyle Shanahan? Yeah. So I am very familiar with his offense, not only from the time that I played in it, um, but also when he was in Atlanta, we trained Matt Ryan. And uh, in his time in San Francisco, I've trained the quarterbacks there in their off seasons as well. So I've had a lot of experience with Kyle's system when I played in it. It's evolved. It's it's morphed throughout the years as the as the NFL game changes. That's one thing about these offenses. Um, it's one of the things I love also about my job. Like I have to stay current as the offenses uh, change because of the defenses or because of schemes or because of different things. It's always evolving, and I love I love kind of what I call the chase. As the offensive game across the NFL evolves, I have to chase it. Like I got to stay current with it because if I'm training these quarterbacks to prepare for it, I better know what teams are doing to be successful. So I've watched it evolve. I know kind of the foundation of it. So as I help these players, yes, it's a huge thing to have been able to play in it because one of the biggest things a quarterback needs is can somebody relate to what it looks like from their helmet, right? It's, you know, I think that there's very smart people that haven't played the position. I think there's a lot of smart people that know the game really well. And they can throw up tape and they can analyze and they can go on a whiteboard and they can do a great job of all those things. But I think that something that guys that actually play the position bring to the table, if they can be really smart at all of that, too, they can bring the perspective that I feel like really a quarterback can relate to. And that's when you can take your experience of knowing exactly what it looks and feels like and then sharing that with them. Or giving them something that they can relate. Hey, you know what this concept is like? You know when you see this and you're working this and it looks like this? I want you to imagine that. And then now we're attacking this guy. So in that same situation, that's why this play builds off of that. Because of this. And like to me, that ground level perspective makes a huge impact. And, you know, Kyle coaches from the ground level. Kyle's not a guy that goes up in the box. Kyle likes to be at a ground level. He likes to have that pulse of his team. So for me, also the conversations. like. I've, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but I've had a lot of conversations with Kyle over, over the years, quarterback play, quarterback development, the guys that he's looking at this year. I think all of that is really important because I'm obviously not going to tell the guys I train exactly what he's saying. And it's no secret now, right? Like, you know, yeah. for a long time, I'm not saying a word to anybody that I'm having these conversations, right? But I mean, the cat's kind of out of the bag now. Um, but to me, it at least gives me a perspective because I also know what their questions are about certain guys. I know what maybe they're hung up on or what they want to see from somebody. And I look at it as it's my job to find out if that player can answer those questions. If that player can transform himself into maybe something specific they're looking for, or does he have that capability? And if he has that capability, can it then be developed? And, you know, that's important to me on both sides. I've had this question asked, well, you're kind of in an interesting spot because you're essentially hired for the player to get the player better and to promote the player. But you also have these relationships with these coaches and they want to know exactly what you know and how do you work that? And I just said, well, here's the best way I can put it. Those players, it's important for the coaches to know exactly who they are, because if they do get picked to that situation, they're not being picked because they're perfect. That coach needs to know what they need to improve on so they can help develop it. And I'm not going to shy away from saying those things. And for the same reason, that player doesn't, 
he doesn't want to land in a situation where a coach expects that he's something he's not because that's not going to help the player. So for both sides, I believe the best thing is just a clear picture. Do I dive into all of the things they got to like? Well, he threw a crappy ball at this workout or this didn't go good. No, but I do try to give the truest form of who that player is at that current time and also a very real analysis of who I believe he can grow into because I believe that is best for both sides. Yeah, can you paint a little bit of a picture then? I Working with Fields and Lance, can you paint a picture then of how they would specifically fit into what Kyle does? Yeah, um, okay, so I'm, I'm going to use Justin Fields, okay? I'm just going to yeah. use him because it's easy to see that he has athleticism. So what does the common person say that knows, oh, well, the Mike Shanahan likes the keeper game? Instantly they think, ooh, an athletic quarterback fits. Okay, that's the easy way to put it. No, no, what it is is an athletic enough quarterback fits. You have to be athletic enough. But within Kyle's system, something more important than just sheer athleticism is the ability to put your feet in the ground quickly and drive balls places. It cannot be a slow process. He wants you to be able to get out and move the pocket a little bit and then put your feet down and deliver the ball to what I call two different locations in the same quick timing. Well, that doesn't require great athleticism, but it does require a strong arm and great feet and also an ability to kind of decipher what's going on. So. I can't say that Justin's athleticism is just an easy carryover. So I have to put him in situations in our workouts where I'm requiring him to do that exact thing. Sure, it's great to see him explode out of the pocket on a keeper. But what's more important in his athleticism getting out on the edge is his ability to decipher what's going on downfield and then quickly put his foot in the ground. And maybe even with somebody coming in his face and in a small space, can he deliver a football to a deep over? or to something downfield, or to a ball in the flat. Can he deliver to all three of those places in that instant? That's what's more important. So I got to put him in those situations to see where he's at. Then we got to train him to develop those things. And then that's the area where like a conversation would be, hey, can he do that? And then I can give a real realistic answer back. I would even take it to the next level, John, in following your train of thought there. I would want to know once he puts his foot in the ground to make that throw, what happens when the pocket makes him adjust? And he has to reset him again and then yeah. do it because that's, there are some that can't do that, that are at a higher level than others. The, the guys that can do that are, are definitely great before they're, you know, above, above what we're talking about. A hundred percent agree. And I made a comment today. I can't remember what I did, if it was today or the other day, but they were actually asking me when I, well, what do you do when you watch somebody's tape? And they're asking me, I think specifically about Trey Lance. And I just said, look, when I watch tape and I see a throw happen, it's not a check off my list like, oh, he made that throw. I look at what his body's doing and instantly <laughs> right. in my head, there's 20 other throws that then that throw tells me he can make them. And at the on the flip side, let's say he has an errant throw, but it's because of a body position or something else. I instantly know a handful of other throws that will also be difficult for him if he uses that same pattern and strategy of his body in trying to make those throws. So when I look at tape, okay, maybe I watch 200 throws of a guy. That's going to tell me the story on 600 throws. And then I got to go to the field and I got to put it in all of those ones that I think, okay, well, I assume this or I think that. Then when I put him in those positions, now it's the real grading period in terms of, okay, now from there you can show me what you got and what you can grow to. And then it tells even a greater story. And that's why I think, you know, uh, it's been great to be in this position because it gives this kind of insight. And like Randy said earlier in the show, 
most of the time you get these private workouts and the coaches get to do what I do with the player. But in these circumstances, they don't get to. And that's quite honestly what has made 3DQB and me, our group, so valuable at this time is we're getting to do the private workouts. We get the data and the the information that they so desperately want to know. Right. There's so many levels that evaluating quarterbacks take you. And and I always think that eventually a quarter has to, quarterback has to beat you from the pocket. That's the that you know, athleticism is great, throwing on the runs great, moving out and then like you said making some explosive plays with your legs is great, but in my opinion, eventually you have to prove you can beat people from the pocket because they're going to find a way to keep you there. And to that end, the pocket's not always going to be clean. And so those that make throws from clean pockets all the time, and this is a little bit of the criticism toward Mac Jones, because his pocket's always clean, right? For the most part, it is clean. The question then becomes, can he move within the pocket to free up his feet to still use the mechanics to make all the throws when the pocket gets squeezed? Because let's face it, the pocket isn't for everybody. Yeah, it's not. No, that's just the way it is. And that's why I think, like, as you talk about Mac Jones, I've loved watching Mac Jones on tape this year. I think he's super talented. I mean, I've I, I, I like watching games over and over again. All right. So I watched it live on TV. Then I want to watch the coach's copy. Okay. Now I've had that time to sink in a little bit. Now I'm going to try to dive in more. I mean, I've watched his, his Florida game. I've watched his national championship game. I've watched those, each of those a number of times. And I'm so impressed with him mm-hmm. as a player, but you're right. You have to be able to dive in there and say, how many muddy pocket throws do I actually get to evaluate? I have to be able to see and be able to analyze it in a way that if he can do that one, he's also capable of all these other ones. And right. if this one didn't work, how would then those other pockets that could be similar on different throws, can he do that one as well? And that's the that's why those private workouts are so good. Right. Put them in all those positions and ask them to do it because you don't get to see it throughout tape. And you're right. having to judge what you see on tape and can it be also in these other areas without actually getting to do it. The other thing that's hard to judge, especially for people on the outside, and I think maybe the most important thing other than just physically being able to make all the throws, is a quarterback's ability to process. And everybody does it. People don't understand, John, you do obviously, but the amount of information intake that these guys get pre-snap, during the huddle, at the line of scrimmage, post-snap, they don't get to wait and we'll make all the adjustments when we come off the field in between series. Because we may only get seven or eight series, right? During a game. So we have to make these adjustments on the fly. So the ability to process is one thing, but you've got to do it fast and you've got to be able to intake all this information and make something out of it before you ever see the sidelines again. That's the hardest thing for me as an evaluator to grab. And when we, in these COVID times, in these private workouts, that was always where we get it. And now we can't get it. So it goes along with what you're saying. It's made your company what it is, a lot of these intricate parts. But you do things in your daily routine with these guys to help speed up that processing, or do you believe it can't even be speeded up? Absolutely. That's a huge part of what we do because I've seen it over and over again, that jump that you have to make in the volume that you have to retain and that you have to be able to draw upon. And I'm going to even add another element, which is pressure, right? The pressure situations that a quarterback faces. And I don't mean Sam Mike pressure, right? right. I mean the pressure of the situation. A lot of people think pressure is a screaming stadium with tons of fans, but the reality is it's the pressure to perform for some of these guys. It's the pressure to, you got a couple games to try to show something, or you may be right back, you know, back on the bench, or there's pressure of, 
Our team's lost the last two games. Anyone that's been in the NFL, they know and they can feel how the building changes when you're potentially looking at what looks like a third loss in a row. Everybody has to lose one game in a row. A lot of teams, you lose two in a row. It's when that potential third game in a row starts building. You feel it in the building. People start hitting the panic button, the coaches. All of that trickles down to the quarterback. And when he walks out on the field, he knows a ton of it falls on him. So how can he handle that pressure? And like Randy was saying, all the volume of the of, of the playbook that he has to retain, all the data, the information, you know, the game planning or like where, where they're going through the defense and, hey, here's this play. Here's where we want to attack it. This is what this defender is really good at. This is what this guy is not good at. I can remember going in as a rookie and we sit down and Coach Malarkey's running the offensive meeting, right? And we're getting ready for game one and they have all the guys on defense up there and you know, I'm used to, yeah, you go through, you say who's who, you say who's the nickel, you know, you say what they change to when they go to three down front, you start talking about all those things. And then Trent Green starts calling the defenders by their first name. And he starts <laughs> going over all the experience he's had playing against that guy. Well, I know he plays it like this and I know he plays it like that. And I know this guy does this and this guy that, and oh, that's Bob. And oh, that's, you know, that's, that's this guy. And then you realize the depth of information that experience gives you in the NFL. And you have to remember, not only on the offensive side of the ball are you playing with that experience, but the dudes on the defense are as well. And that's another element that you have to add to it all. So it's not just about knowing the check. Oh, this, when the strong safety gets in the box, we're going to make an Oscar call there, and we're going to flip the play and go to the other side. That's the easy stuff. It's when you start going into the element of the personnel on the other side as well. And when the personnel are involved in your checks – in your game plan, in where you want to throw the football. It's retaining all of that as a young player in a pressure environment. To me, that's the pressure cooker of being a quarterback in the NFL. And we absolutely talk about those things. We process those things. Um, when my time in the NFL ended, I went back and I got a couple graduate degrees in sport performance and performance psychology because the mental aspect and emotional aspect is so important. And we have specific days where we talk with our quarterbacks about handling pressure, about handling stress, stress about how to perform better in those pressure environments and how you can do some things mentally. We also talk about memorization, how to be able to process and retain all of those plays. It truly is a skill that can be worked on. So to answer your final question, can it be enhanced? Absolutely. You'd be really surprised to know the guys that seek out memorization experts, uh, memory retention experts. They go see doctors to help them ease their anxiety so that they can in pressure situations retain more information and draw upon it quickly. It's a huge aspect of it. Yeah. I just love the angle of it. You know, I was lucky for 10 years after I left the Dolphins to be at the Chargers, right? And so I was with Philip for 10 years, Philip Rivers. And I always said, everybody always says, what makes him different? What makes him different? Well, what I thought makes him different is, let's say a play lasts six or seven seconds. He was the absolute best I was ever around at second six and seven of that play. So at the end of it, when we're all grabbing something and saying, what the, he has uh, the ability to, all the things you talked about, process them all that first five seconds and then do something about it in six, in second six and seven. He was the best late in a down, if that makes any sense, that I was ever around. That's just hard to find. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I love Philip. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that I always respect. I think a lot of quarterbacks around the league, they respect Phillip for the way that he played, for the way that he prepared. Yep. Anyone that's been on that staff with him in the quarterback room, you hear the stories of just how great he is about it, how well he knows the offense. You know, Phillip had a phrase, I think that his dad told him growing up, you know, you know it when you can teach it. 
And yep. I think that's what made Philip awesome too. Like he literally could have been the offensive coordinator on the right. field and teach everybody what they're doing. And he probably could have ran the play calls, ran the personnel, ran everything, made the checks. I bet if somebody would have just turned it over to him during the week and said, Hey, Phil, you know what? We're making you the offensive coordinator for the week. I bet he would have loved it. And right. he would have spent all that time game planning. And I believe that's why he was so thoroughly prepared. He also loves challenges. He loves competition. Right. Oh. So, so in that final second, it's a challenge to him yeah. that he loves. And so I think that's why he could probably handle it so well, where some people would probably feel panic, yeah. uh, fear, fear to mess up, worry. Uh, to him, I think Phil just always goes to that challenge side, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, I had a cool experience. Our kids played flag football together for a few years. It's in uh -huh. everything that Phil does, his yeah. <laughs> love of that challenge of the game. So, yeah, absolutely. Hey. Before we let you run off here, I wanted to go through the five guys that you've worked with, right? And just give us something that maybe not everybody knows. Maybe the guys in the league know or something. If you got a, a little tidbit or a highlight from working with these guys, uh, I think that the listeners would benefit from that. Because, look, people are following the draft, but they're not nearly as close to it as you are. So you mentioned, what, Zach Wilson, uh, Fields, Lance, Trask, Costello. What do you got? Just something you've learned from working with each guy. Um, well, I'll tell you my favorite thing about, I got to spend a lot of days with all those guys on the field at the same time. And you want to talk about a really cool environment. That'd be fun. There's yeah. not many fields in America that during the pre-draft process can say they have that many guys all working out in the same hour and a half window. Yeah. And when you're watching Justin Fields sling a ball, Kyle Trask sling a ball, Zach sling a ball, then KJ slings a ball. And they're just going back to back to back. And then the yeah. cool part about it was the competitive side right? Yeah. Uh, they just competed with each other. And it literally, there were times that we walked off the field and, you know, the players leave and we're kind of gathering up stuff, but we just turned to each other's coaches and we say, wow. that was awesome. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Was awesome. Yeah. So for me, you know, I'm a big like feel guy in terms of like, okay, when I played in the league, I wanted to feel the wideouts that I knew were the most competitive guys. I didn't care about what they said. I didn't care about the way that they talked. It's the, it's the vibe. It's that feeling they put off every single play in practice, even in the off season. It's the way they work. It's how they respond after a drop, how they respond when they, you know, they make a mistake or during one-on-ones. Who's the dude that just somehow, even if his route's not perfect, does he find a way to win? Well, I kind of view these quarterbacks the same way, right? I'm always trying to get a feel for what they're like when they walk out on the field. When Justin Fields walks out on the field, he carries himself in a way, you know, he's played for Ohio State University, right? You know, he's been the dude there for two years. You know, he's played in a national championship. You know, he's eyeing Super Bowls. You can tell in his level of focus, when he steps out on the field, he stepped out every day to prove he was the best one on the field. I mean, I'll just say it for what it really was. There wasn't a day that went by that he wasn't trying to be the best one on the field. And that excites me because that's the type of attitude you have. <clears throat> Zach, same exact thing. Guess what? Kyle Trask, same exact thing. All those guys, they're all trying to prove each and every day that they were the best guy in this draft. You know, the thing about Zach, super twitchy athlete. I think most people would be really surprised to see how quick, you know, they see his scramble ability, but he is so elusive, so quick, and that ball can just jump out so fast. I have way more of a backstory with Zach because it's been three years in the making. I have a really cool experience. I met him as an 18-year-old kid. Uh barely in his first semester in college. And now to see where he's grown and gone to, I've seen the behind the scenes, right? Most of America goes, wait, Zach Wilson? Uh, the, like the BYU kid, where'd he come from? 
the reality is I saw where he came from and all the work that went into it. The behind the scenes of the Zach Wilson story is amazing and how much work he's put into it. He has just been relentless. The word that describes Zach's mind is relentless. The way he approaches the game, the way he loves the game, the way he works to improve, somebody's going to get a very, get a very relentless player. Kyle Trask, I'm talking like the thing I love. He is just this country workaholic grinder. Uh, I've said this in a number of podcasts and interviews. Value is the thing that stands out to me. Somebody's going to get great value in Kyle Trask. He was so consistent, so efficient uh, of a thrower at practice. Uh, and really, I, I, I love his mindset. I do not think he's going to be overwhelmed by any environment. If some team had their starter, their backup, whoever get injured, and they got to turn to Kyle and say, Kyle, you are our day one starter. He would probably kind of chuckle smile and say, all right, well, I'm just going to go cut it loose. And to me, that is hard for somebody to try to acquire that skill right now. Somebody that's not naturally like that, they're not going to all of a sudden become that in like a year or two. To me, that's who he is by nature because of all the experiences he's had growing up. And, you know, I've had had a chance to work with Trey the last few weeks. It's been great. He has shown me so many things that is going to show to me and prove to me that somebody's going to be really happy with who they get. He's very athletic very smart. You put him on the board, you watch tape with him. You can tell the football he was playing at, at North Dakota is going to prepare him well for the scheme he's going to have in the NFL. And then I know I've been talking for a long time, but quickly, you know, I, I don't want to leave out KJ Costello, yeah. a guy that had a ton of promise his sophomore year um, at Stanford, had the battle injury, transferred, was hoping for a better situation in Mississippi State. It didn't work out like he wanted, but he's been great at every single day, the way that he's worked with us. I'm really hoping for good things for him as well. But, uh, you know, Quite frankly, I couldn't have asked for a better class. I mean, it's been amazing to work with this many top-notch guys. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, really good, good stuff. Hey, Costello, was that your guy, Randy? Did you like yeah, him? it was. It was. I, I was week. one of the guys that went back and looked at him at Stanford a couple of years ago, John. So I'm with you with Costello. I thought he was a good player there, and I thought he would kind of set the SEC on fire. So I hear what you're saying. It didn't work out for him, but I don't know that, uh, that it's not going to work out for him in the long run because I saw a lot of positives out of him at Stanford. Yeah, yeah, me too. And Randy was also big on Zach early too, Zach Wilson, before people were really talking about him. So great minds, huh? Not, I, mine excluded, but great minds with you guys. <laughs> hey, hey, it's because Randy knows the BYU guys, right, Randy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. They, they, John, uh, thanks so much for doing this. We yeah, know you you're in welcome. demand, and we'll let you get to your family, hopefully at this hour, uh, hanging right. around late for us. So thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Best to you. Best to all your guys. Thanks, John. Yep. Thanks, guys. Yep. We'll see you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That kind of conversation is what happens in NFL offices every day, right? I mean, that's something I really miss about not being in an NFL office preparing for the draft. We tap sources like John every day and uh, try to connect all the dots. I think it's it can't be undersold how COVID times are forcing teams now to not be able to really cross all the T's and dot all the I's like you have for years. I mean, those are really examples when we talk to John about what we did at his private workout and the fact that he's really the private workout guy for certain teams now because they can't do it. They can't go to a college and have their private workout and gather the intel that we did for years. I just think that's, it can't be undersold. That's, that's a valuable information that is harder and harder to get because of COVID. And I know we're tired of, of spinning everything in COVID times, but that when you yeah. talk about quarterbacks and the evaluation of them, all the things that John brought up to us, I mean, I could have expanded on those and spent two more hours talking about all the details. I think they do a great job. And I was really excited to, to hear how in-depth they get. And obviously, John is as people can tell, is is really good at what he does. He's probably uh, destined to be a quarterback coach at some point in the NFL if he ever wanted to do that. Yeah, no, I was I was fascinated by it too. Just the position, the unique position he's in yeah. with all the relationships he has. And then, Randy, if I'm you, if I'm an evaluator who's trying to interpret this, I also have to take into account, okay, John Beck has his own lens that he sees people through, right? And quarterbacks, yep. right? Yep. Things that he values and thinks are important, just like we all do. Yep. And you have to sort of put that all together. It's not just what John Beck says. I mean, that's no. a component of it. It's a component of it, but it's a really valuable component of it because he's seen them all in a way. It's kind of like when I used to do the Gruden quarterback camps, like, geez, right. John's spending more time with all these guys. You get a feel for certain things, you know, and he yep. and he's kind of in that in that role in an even greater um, way. So any NFL team that's in the quarterback market, and that doesn't have to be in the first round. Like you said, he's talking about KJ Costello and some of the other guys, any team that's in the quarterback market at all and hasn't had a conversation with John uh, about just what we did. Um, I think they're missing the boat. I really do. I think yeah. that's great information. And like you say, it's not the end all, but is a component now of some information that's hard to get because of the restrictions we have in private workouts and some of the other things we would do in the spring to gather it. So before we wrap this up, let's just say that you were John Lynch or whatever. What would you be asking him? Uh, you know, because you've done your homework. You've got opinions on him. You like or don't like certain guys. What mm -hmm. can you find out from him? Well, I think the biggest thing and what I tried to, to ask him was it's, it's the ability to process all the amounts of information that these yeah. guys have and then be able to spit it out in a timely fashion. I mean, that's the thing that people don't really, I don't think, yeah. get a clear enough picture on is the amount of mental um, discipline, the mental uh, part of the game that's a grind for these guys every day. When, when quarterbacks leave the game now, when you talk about quarterbacks getting to the end of their career, it's not necessarily the physical part that sends them into, onto the couch. It's the mental grind every day. And when we watch a game on TV, um, 
you you hear the announcers always say, well, the backup's in now and he didn't get any reps during the week. Well, guess what? Now you understand why he don't get any reps because the starter's got to take every rep during the week, early in the week, so that it becomes second nature by the end of the week when you're getting ready for a game. So that's correct. Backups don't get any time. And that's a big thing. And this is why, because there's so much mental that these quarterbacks have to do. They have to be first in the in the office. They have to learn all this with reps like a coach and then be able to, by Friday or Saturday, spit it all out in a timely fashion in, like I said, seven-second increments, right? Yep. It, processing speed matters. Yep, it absolutely does. Well, Randy, can't thank you enough for lining up that uh, that guest with John Beck. I mean, your connection with him worked out great. I think that was a really fun podcast. Usually we've got a couple other segments, but I think we've we've covered the bases. That was really a full discussion. We'll be back next week before the draft, hit a few more things specifically. But uh, yeah, like I said, that was great. I hope everybody can join us next week. 